I'm Gab. He's not Jules. He's Natum. Uh, Blue skies over West London. Maybe because Chelsea are in uh, FA Cup final. We'll be talking about that. We'll be talking about Bayern on the brink of a title. Paris Saint-Germain on the brink of a title. Wake me up if you've heard this before. But there's one place to start. And also we'll be talking about Liverpool and City. Of course. Part two, part three, whatever the installment is in that, that rivalry. But I want to start Real Madrid and Sevilla. Real Madrid march into the lair of the Lopetegui. Mm -hmm. They go two goals down, and they come back to win 3-2. And uh, Nadim, we've got Alex Kirkland here with us. To sort out, Alex, first half hour, Sevilla were fantastic. Help me understand this. Um, There was no Casemiro. Carlo played cross in front of the back four. It didn't really work. Looked to be more, you know, we'll play through them. No, they got their rear ends handed to them. And then he turned them around. We've seen this before from Real Madrid, haven't we? I thought this game was Real Madrid's season in a nutshell. We saw the two faces of this team in this one game that we've seen time and time again. We've been trying to work out exactly how good this Real Madrid team is. Is it the team that lost to PSG in Paris or the team that you know came back and blew them away in the second leg? Is it the team that was thrashed 4-0 by Barca in the Clasico or the team that went to Stamford Bridge and, and beat Chelsea 3-1? And here we saw both of those teams in the same game. And I find it so hard to understand how we're at the stage of the season where Madrid's, they're going to win La Liga. They're in the Champions League semifinals. And we're still not quite sure how good this Real Madrid team are. And it's because of performances like this, where, as you say, in the first half hour against Sevilla, they were just blown away by Sevilla, who are a very good team. They've been running out of steam as the season has gone on. And they ran out of steam in this match, actually. But in those first 25 minutes when they went tuning up, they were by far the better sides. Madrid were really poor at the back. Two defensive mistakes from Eda Militao, who in general has been very good this season, but he is still liable to the occasional lapsing concentration. Something that Angelotti had pointed out pre-match, actually, and we saw it here with both of those severe goals. The first one where he inexplicably moved to open up a gap in the wall that Rakitic found with the free kick, and then he was brushed off the ball for the second goal that was finished off by, by Lamella. But then... Real Madrid regrouped. Uh, Ancelotti said after the game that he made one or two tactical readjustments in terms of the positioning of the team because it wasn't quite right, both in and out of possession. And you could feel it. You could feel this Real Madrid comeback coming, partly, of course, because we've seen it so many times before. Nadim, I just think psychologically, and I, get, I, I, just make, I don't like talking about psychology and experience because to me it's all stupid metaphysical nonsense. It, it matters. It matters. Well, that's what I want to ask you about because... We saw it against Chelsea in midweek. They, they're on their way out. They somehow come back. Still lose the game, mind you. And then they're in the same position again. What does it do? Does it make you more confident that, like, Carlo does some Carlo voodoo and turn it around? <laughs> or, like, at some point, it's got to undermine you, right? Yeah, I think, I think as for them this uh, yesterday, I think the fact that halftime came and you turn all down, it's a chance to reset. The momentum doesn't exist when the game's not going on. You know, if they'd gone turn all down in the second half... And the clock's ticking. You'd be feeling the pressure just that bit more. So I think a chance for them to reset, make the change, which was a key change with Kamavinga coming off, I thought. I think that gives you a second opportunity. But as for the psychology of it all, I think you can see a side in Madrid who, you know, they're top of the league. They think they can come back from anything. And they're just going to go out and know that the consequences of a loss aren't going to be as great as, say, you know, at another stage in the season. So they can sort of take the foot off the, take, put the foot on the gas just that little bit more. And as well, for the psychology standpoint, in my opinion, once you gain some confidence, it's almost like you're taken away from the opposition as well. You know, both sides. If, if Sevilla are taking a, foot, a step back, Madrid are taking a step forward. That's the tone, that's the feel. And I think for, even for the people in the stadium, you'd have been sensing, I think we've seen this story before. And when you can sense that energy in the crowd, like, it's very hard to say, no, no, this isn't real, this isn't real. And then lo and behold, you, you lose a game 3-2. Alex, you don't want to say it's done and dusted, um, because obviously stranger things have happened, but... It certainly feels that way, especially with Barcelona getting beaten in the Europa League, maybe losing some some uh, momentum there, and um, and yet there's no guarantee Carlo's going to be back next season, is there? No, because there are no guarantees ever at, at Real Madrid. This is a club that has sacked coaches in the past after winning the Champions League, so we don't know for Wait, sure. Can I give you a guarantee? Florentino Perez will continue to win every election that the club run. That's that, a guarantee. Yes, that we can, yeah. that, that, is, that is an absolute certainty. There is no, there is no doubt about that. Um, Ancelotti, look, I think this season has gone about as well as you could possibly hope. As I said, they're going to win the league. 
they're in the Champions League semi-finals, which for Real Madrid is is pretty much par. That's where they would expect to, to, to be. Credit to Ancelotti last night as well. We talked about some of the tactical changes, and especially at half-time, it was bringing Rodrigo off the off the bench that, that, that won the game. And he's a fascinating player. Um, we mentioned Camavinga. Two young players, Camavinga and Rodrigo, who both seem... They don't quite seem ready to start games or at least make the same, have the same kind of influence starting games. But coming off the bench, they've been very important this season. And we saw with Rodrigo last night uh, involved in, in both of the, of the two goals that got them back on, on level terms. He's a, he's a funny player because it was his first um, league goal this season, Rodrigo. And yet he feels like, to me anyway, whenever he's involved, especially off the bench, a dangerous player who can, who can score goals. So Ancelotti, he's not... I'm sorry, Gab, just a, it's just he's not a coach, I think, particularly known for kind of tactical um, insights. He's seen as more of a man manager. But if you look at these recent games, we saw it against Chelsea. We've seen it against PSG as well. Some of his in-game changes in the last few weeks have made a difference. All right, I'm going to channel my inner Julian Lopetegui here. Okay. Um, there were two episodes, mm-hmm. two controversial refereeing episodes. I want to get your take on it. We're going to start with the first one, the one that really could have changed the game, I think, in a significant way. Yeah. Uh, Kamavinga's tackle, which... I thought could have easily been a second yellow. That's in the first half. If that tackle happens, I don't know how Ancelotti reacts, but I'm pretty sure 10-man Real Madrid don't win this game. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Um, What happened? To go back to the game, the ref didn't give a free kick, did he? I don't believe he did, no. So that's what makes it even more crazy because I, I I remember watching and he made the tackle and the ref just points at the ball and then runs away. It's like, yeah, yeah that's well, the ball, but, <laughs> but over there's the foul. <laughs> and is this not something that the video could get involved with since it's for a second yellow card? It's not. Unfortunately, uh, video assistant referee uh, rules. And it, it might be something to look at, might not be, but then they don't want to do that be because we, then you question we, the first one. We don't, we don't want to add too much to it because people are already quite frustrated with the amount of things that get looked at twice. But I think for me, that's a foul for me. That's a yellow right. card. And I think you can tell because as he's laying on the floor after making the tackle, he's, you can see in his eyes like he's thinking, ah. I'm in big, big trouble here. Yeah. Alex, you agree? Kamavinga should have been yeah. sent off? Yeah, I, I think he was very, very lucky. I, I don't understand how the referee can see that challenge even once and not think it's a foul and the cards. And Kamavinga absolutely got away with, with, with that one. He has, we've seen it fairly frequently from him this season. He, he's young, of course, and he's still quite rash. His decision-making isn't what it should be. And going for that, that challenge on a, on a yellow card, I think, was another example of that. Mm. Uh, the other controversial one, and I do want to go back and talk about Camavinga and his role in, and Rodrigo and the role in Real Madrid's future, um, obviously was the disallowed goal, uh, that, that Vinicius supposed handball, which mm. I, to me it's very obvious that it hits the chest, to, 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 that the goal should have stood. I mean, to you too? Yeah, that's, 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 that's how it feels to me, from how it looks and the way the ball even comes off his chest. Like it's just it's just a good touch. Like that's how some people control the ball, control it like that. So for him to then go and look at the video and say, well, it's this definitely handball, and then to run away again, tapping something, where like it's almost like he was tapping, saying, oh yeah, the uh, the ball didn't touch you. I'm like what what, what, what what we doing? Like it, it's a shame that the goal was was disallowed because again, as was the case with say the other incident, when somebody's telling you something has or has not happened, which is oppos- opposite to the truth that can really, really rile people up. And in that, sort, and in that moment as well, like, it's, it's a big moment in the game. If things hadn't gone their way, imagine what well, we're talking about it now, imagine how much we'd be talking about if they didn't get the result. And then for that referee, you never know how people would have been speaking of him, say a lack of trust in him next time he, he's refereeing the game. So for me, it's 100% a goal. Um, Alex, you're on board with this, yeah? That the goal should have stood? Talk about people getting riled up. What was fascinating about this incident was very unusually, as the referee went across to take a look at the images on the pitch side bar monitor, they were showing it on the big screen in oh, the stadium. Wow. And so everyone in the stadium was watching the replays of the goal over and over again. And Sorry, you could are see they allowed the players, to do that? Because they have rules I, well, against they, that in many places. I don't, I don't, I don't think so. They, they, never, they, they never do it, do they? So I don't, but they did it. They did it. And you could see all the players were looking up and pointing and debating it, Ancelotti was doing the same, Lopetegui was, was doing the same, kind of arguing their case, but it was right there. It was right there on the big screen. Everyone in the stadium could see the, the replays. And I was convinced that when the referee went across to look at it, he was going to give the goal because I couldn't, I just couldn't see how you could watch that several times 
and yeah. concludes that it was a, that it was a handball. Maybe if you were looking at uh, you know one specific still image, you could be led to believe it was handball. But we know that the, the you know, still images can be misleading. That's why referees aren't supposed to to use them in, in in terms of making these kinds of decisions. So I couldn't understand it, and you could see that Vinicius was was stunned. Angelotti said afterwards, Vinicius guaranteed to me that that he controlled it with his uh, with his chest. And fortunately, in many ways went on to win the game because if they hadn't gone on to win the game and this had been the defining incident in the game I mean there's already a lot of fuss about this I cannot imagine what the fuss would have been like this morning I think this is the interesting thing about sport especially once you have a side in in the argument you you just can't see properly like imagine like both sets of players saying you see it's handball because I was like no you see it's not handball like can both things be true but that they were cool. adamant on both sides. They were absolutely that's, that's adamant. Bit. It was, and the managers too. It was incredible. Okay, so I think the goal should have stood. But I also think, and I think this is a good reminder of how. Remember when VAR was introduced in the Premier League? And yeah. They're like, well, Terrib- the referee. Terribly. Yeah. Yeah. Very badly, but the referee doesn't need to go look. Yeah. Because if it's clear and obvious, there's no debate, right? Yeah. And I think it's important that the referee own the decision. So, I can live with the fact this guy's human. I think he made a mistake. Yes. Maybe he thinks he didn't. Yes. But it's important that there's an accountability there, mm-hmm. that it's not just, you know, faceless VAR deciding something else. And so I think in the end, you can kind of live with this. Um, Alex, I want to ask you about before you, you were so critical. You called <laughs> Ancelotti tactically naive and stuff. I, and like, I said that a lot of people <laughs> say that, Gab. I was not adopting that position myself. No, no, I look, that very look, clear. No, I... Obviously, I'm biased when it comes to Ancelotti. I, I, what I find really interesting about, about Ancelotti is that for those years ago, before Alex was born, um, Ancelotti was an assistant to Arrigo Sacchi. And at the time, he was one of the most dogmatic tactics come first, the collective, adjust this, play this guy five meters forward, five meters to the side, blah, blah, blah. And that is what he was known for, to the point that told the story many times, you know, this is the guy who says, oh, no, I don't want Roberto Baggio at Parma because he would ruin the tactical balance and my pressing schemes, right? Mm. Um, this is the guy who came out and said, oh, that Zola, no, he can't play for me at Parma because he's a number 10. And I don't play with a number 10 because modern football, there's no room for number 10. I mean, if he'd met Messi, Messi had been around, I don't know what he would have done to him. He would have ruined his <laughs> yeah. career right there, right? Yeah. But so then he's evolved from that to the fact he's a man manager, but I think the actual tactical skills are all still there, and I think especially the ability to to go and remedy. Um, and one big choice that backfired, we made two big tactical choices that backfired in this game, right, at the, at the start. He played, uh, Mendy was out, so he plays Carvajal, who's right-footed mm-hmm. at left back, but he figures, okay, come into midfield, you know, he can be an extra pass in the middle of the park. We know Sevilla are likely to press us. And in place of Casemiro, he plays Kroos. Like, hey, look, let me play the guy who can... Yeah, he's kind of static, but he can actually pass the ball, right? From a deeper position, that's fine. And then we'll have Camavinga and Valverde running around, right? Um, those decisions make sense, Alex, don't they? I mean, they back, they didn't work. But they're not weirdo decisions, right? It's not like there's an obvious tactical genius plan that he didn't go down, right? No, I, I think that's fair. I think what's been very interesting about Antonotti all season, actually, is he's been very, very open when talking about his tactics, when talking about his decisions, why he has made one choice and, and not another. It's been quite a contrast from someone like Zidane in the past who never, ever wanted to get into tactical discussions, really. And I think Antonotti, he's been overall just pragmatic this season. He's looked at his squad. He's looked at the players that he's that he's got and he's tried to work out a, a scheme and a system that fits these players. He said earlier in the season with this midfield with Modric and Cross and Casemiro, I can't press. These aren't players who can play a pressing game and so I'm not going to do that. Now, he ended up drifting away from that a, a little bit for a while after the first leg of the PSG game. But yeah, I think he's just entirely pragmatic. All I would say is that whenever they've tried to play Cross as the deepest midfielder, I can't think of any occasions that it's ever really worked because he he doesn't like it. He doesn't want to be there. Um, he doesn't do anything like, of course, the same kind of job that Casemiro does in, in that position. And even if you try and compensate for, for it with the energy of Camavinga and, and Valverde, it, it still it doesn't quite work. And once again, it shows that they've got no replacement really for Casemiro in this, 
in, in this squad and that's been the case for, for a long, long time. But no, I think you can look at each of his tactical decisions in isolation and you can, you can see what the reasons are for him making them. Like I say, I also think during the game, he managed it really quite well in terms of making the tweaks that were needed to put Madrid back on top. And by the time the second half came around, they really were the, by far the best team. Well, he said, uh, Nathan, he said the first half was my fault. The second half was the players. Um, you no, know, I think it's what like, a hero. What a hero. No, no, but it, it's funny because you you don't often... It's, it's such an easy thing to say. Yeah. It makes the players feel good, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. It makes everybody feel good because what a nice guy. Mm-hmm. But so few managers do it. Mm. So few managers come out, whether he believes it in his head or not, right? Why don't more people do that? I mean, even like I, most people like Jurgen Klopp, right? Yeah. How, how often does he say, yeah, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have played a Nabi Keita for the, you know, like, or yeah, you know, like, yeah, he, you don't hear that, right? No, no, no. You, you, it's, it's a fair point. It's such an easy way to, yeah. to curry favor. It's a, it's a fair, it's a fair point that you're making, and I think that role of like the overly positive manager towards their players and the sort of like being a bit down on themselves. I don't think they fully. It doesn't really suit people's personality. They're the manager. They're the big guy. You know, they want to be praised for how tactically they've done things right. And to even, uh, I've just had this realization now after all the years I've played. In the build-up to a game, when you're doing tactics, it always looks great on paper, but you're always envisioning what it's like to have the ball and to be in control of a game. Right. But when you're on the back foot, you're not thinking, well, he'll just drift out here and then everybody <laughs> yeah, will come exactly. back into this position. <laughs> then he'll run really fast back here. You know, so at the end of the day, the tactics, they can work, but they always tend to work when you are the dominant side. Alex, let's throw it forward to next season, um, just because we mentioned them before. Rodrigo and Camavinga... Um, the fact that he should have been sent off. I'm a huge Kamavinga fan. Um, I saw him in person at Stamford Bridge. He is a big, big boy. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, he's a big dude. And I, I, think, I think he's a smart player and he has personality. He's not going to instantly necessarily have the football IQ of a Modric or a Kroos or a Casemiro because he's so young. But... I can, I can see how they're getting pretty excited about that left foot, right foot, Valverde, Camavinga uh, combination. But my question to you is, on that front, if many people expect they're going to go for a central midfielder, presumably a high-end central midfielder, obviously, Pogba's been mentioned, I'm not sure it's going to be him, but you assume somebody might come in to bolster that area. Where does that leave the other guys? Or if Ancelotti sticks around, he's going to be tempted, hey, let me try again with the old guys for another year. We've seen it time and time again with Real Madrid's uh, midfield, haven't we? It's When it comes down to it, it's very difficult not to pick Casemiro, Cross, and Modric, even at this stage in their careers, because they're still the three best midfielders that Real Madrid have got. Now, we've seen the last few weeks that in some of these biggest games against the most difficult opponents, he's had to bring in Fede Valverde as well to make it a midfield four to, uh, to provide the energy that those three lack. When it comes to next season, I think you're going to face some of the same questions. Because okay, but what would you do? Is- what would you do? I'm going to promote you now to your, 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 your Jose Angel, whatever his name is, right? And, Jose Angel Sanchez, yeah. Yeah, and you're going to say, listen, do you go and do you sign a big starter quality, a Pogba type, that kind of level, big money, big rep, to replace, to replace a well, midfielder. Listen, Modric isn't getting any younger. He's to got re- another so year. So to replace Modric. To be in the mix for that. Maybe you go to a four in certain situations. You have to assume Kroos and Modric, one or the other, is probably going to miss most games, right? Do you go and do that and say, this is the new guy I'm building the team around? Or do you say, I'm just going to up Camavinga and Vaverde's minutes during the season, maybe get another younger guy in? What, what would you do? Uh, I don't think we'll see that that profile of, of player coming in. I think we'll see a, a younger player coming in, someone like Tuomeni or Monaco has been mentioned, who can maybe be the Casemiro alternative. I think the, the policy of the club has been pretty clear in recent years in terms of looking to bring in younger players who can grow and grow into a place in the in the team. And then, the yes, the occasional potential superstar signing, like, of course, Mbappe would be this, this summer. But I, I would be surprised if we saw a, a, a Pogba-type um, signing this summer. Well, I, I, as I say, I think what you're, you've spent all this time developing Valverde and you're now developing Camavinga. I think that process, you can see it's starting to bear fruit. It's not there yet because, like I say, 
Camavinga can't quite do it from the start at the moment. The same goes for Rodrigo in the in the front three. But you're, they're making progress. They're getting there. I think you want to see that progress continue. Okay. And then up front, I mean, I was shocked when you said this was Rodrigo's first goal of the season. Mm. I thought that was... First league goal. He's had, I think, goal. three in the Champions League, but first league goal, yeah. I said, okay, so do you go to Rodrigo and say, let's assume for a second, it's not a done deal, that Mbappe's coming. Let's leave the Roncedo fantasies of Holland coming into one side for a second. If you're Rodrigo, then, you know, you, you're, do you tell him, Rodrigo, you're number four again among my forwards. Do you start thinking maybe I actually want a little more space, especially if the guys coming in are younger? Or because obviously if Mbappe comes, Rodrigo's going to play less next year than he played this year. If Holland comes, flights out, obviously. Um, how, how do you play that? How would you play that? Or and you put I, you, I would you it, consider sorry more I was talking this would you consider the Rainier Jesus plan which obviously has worked out so well at Borussia Dortmund he's the guy everybody forgets that they they spent a ton of money on him too right and they sent him to yeah. Dortmund yeah they're so good develop young players right and he's basically done nothing he did play this weekend uh, he's done nothing for the last two years what do you do I, I think at this stage of Rodrigo's career, I think being the number four forward for, for Real Madrid and being the first choice to come off the bench and make an impact on games, I, I think that's that's acceptable for him at this stage in his development. I think that's a pretty great place to be, actually, at this stage of his of his development. If I were Rodrigo, I would take that, being the first one off the bench at Madrid, rather than... I feel like going out on loan at this stage, even if that means getting regular minutes, would be a little bit of a step back. When you're making the kind of impact that he made last night or he made against Chelsea, I don't think you want to sort of leave that behind to go off on loan, even if it means you're playing every week. I think you'll want to stay at, at Madrid and, like I say, be kind of be the be the 12th man. I think there's nothing wrong with, with that role at, at this stage for him at all. If he was a few years older, if he was in his mid-20s, it, it might be different. Uh, but, but right now in his early 20s, I think that's the place that he wants to be. All right, final word on Julian and, uh, and Sevilla. I mean, I had so much praise for them this year. The stock explanation is that they simply ran out of energy, played too many games. Um, it's not that small a squad, but I guess they've also had had injuries. Acuna was just coming back in this one. Um, they did strengthen in January, but the wheels came off. Do you have any rational explanation? I mean, it's still going to be a good season in the end, right? Um, presumably, if they finish top four. Um, as as long more. as they finish top four, yeah. as long, importantly for them, as long as they finish above Betis, their rivals, then yes. Then, and then Betis, of course, a, they're a what, successful season. Betis are what, three points back? Um, but I think, yeah, yeah, it's, it's uh, they, they should, they should do that. And uh, yeah, I agree. That would be, I think that's a, it's, it's a pretty good season. But why? Just, why have the wheels come off when you were when top were, of the league mm. and you were playing the best football yeah. in Spain for a long time? Why? Yeah. Is it Julian's fault? That's the thing, like, Last night's game should have been, or could it could have been, could have felt like a title decider, and it didn't feel like that because they've drawn so many games in in recent weeks. Part of it, there is a feeling that Lopetegui, despite being, I think, a, a very very good manager, um, sometimes there's a, a somewhat conservative outlook that maybe costs them when it when it really matters. You mentioned they reinforced in January. I mean, Anthony Martial simply hasn't had the impact that they would have wanted him to to have, and maybe there's a concern there that if they had a, a really top a really, really top centre forward. They've got they've got several, but none of them are, are not, quite there. Not Rafa Mir, who misses there. who missed that awful sitter. We did mention that too, but I think that could have been a good yeah, one. Yeah, he's a good player, but he's not quite there. They've yeah. got quality in Ocampos and, and Papu and Papu Gomez, but maybe if you had a top centre forward up there with them, uh, that might have made the, the difference. But yeah, all those drop points in recent weeks have, have cost them. And like I say, that made last night's game. It was still thrilling because of what happened, but it, it, it could have been a, a title decider and, and, it, and it wasn't. I think they've made progress this season, but like you say, it's just disappointing that they've taken a, a step back when it when it really mattered. And that will go against Lopetegui because I think there's always been an element of the Sevilla fan base that's been a little bit sceptical about, about Lopetegui. You know, he, he's from the Basque country, the other side of, uh, of Spain, he, he, and they weren't, weren't necessarily um, welcoming his appointment right. initially. He's done well, but there are still some question marks there. Alex Kirkland, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you so much. All right, enough Madrid. Let's talk the FA Cup semi-final, the never-ending battle between Liverpool and City. <laughs> um, I was expecting a game. Yeah. Instead, I see the City lineup, and I'm like, nee. Did and you, it's 3-0 at halftime. 
Okay. Now, I got no problem with it. Are you sure? I, Seems like you have. No, no, no. I have no problem with it because ultimately, for all the yak, yak, yak that people make, mm-hmm. there are trophies that are bigger than others. And Pep Guardiola's first goal is to win the Champions League. His second goal is to win would you the say, Premier League. Would you say so? Okay, I know, I know. To Man City fans, I no, know you no, guys no, are no, like, no, oh, you no, guys. No, 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 I, no, I, no, no. I think he's won plenty of Premier League titles. He has won as many Champions League titles without Messi as you have <laughs> or I have, which yeah. is zero. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, you know, however you want to prioritize it, but it's certainly not winning another FA Cup. Yeah. Right? So... I can understand the fatigue thing. I can understand the changes. And I can also understand how Liverpool are a really good side. They mm-hmm. rested everybody mm-hmm. against Benfica. Mm-hmm. Whereas they, whereas City had that energy-sapping psychodrama yeah. against Atletico Madrid. Is well, it as simple well, as that? Well described. Um, I think you've made some very, very good points. And I, I think it's a shame about the FA Cup because at this stage of the se- this season, timing can be so crucial and so key in terms of say the mood the mentality and so on because that game on Wednesday against Atletico like the the game didn't it wasn't like the game finished and everything was alright again there was going to be a knock on from that and it's a shame that for them the next game was going to be um, in the FA Cup and it was going to be against Liverpool a Liverpool side who'd rested players as you said in midweek in the Champions League which is an incredible thing to do subtly by the way they earned the right to do it by whooping them in the first leg exactly whereas City in the first leg, only scored one goal against Atletico Madrid. Exactly. Yeah. But let's, in my opinion, even if they were two up or three up against Atletico, that second leg was going to be one of those games anyway because it's Atletico in that stadium. That's who they are. So it was never going to be an easy game, especially with Atletico as an underdog. You know, they're gonna, they, they love that. That's the whole system. That's the whole mentality. So it's a shame that that happened. But this happened last year with City because they played the semi-final again against Chelsea when Chelsea were in a very good moment. And they made changes for that and lost it. And I think there was a sense of disappointment because from the, when you see them make changes and you see the games that came before, you kind of have a rough idea of what type of performance you're going to get. But in this time, you're playing against Liverpool, who have got their strongest team out, basically, barring maybe Henderson. And, and oh, Matip, you could say, as well. And you know exactly what they're going to provide for you. But with the sort of lineup that City had, for as good as players as they are, you can't really predict the performance itself. And I think you saw that in the first half. Well, this brings to another point, I think, with City, with the issue of, of fatigue, mm. which is something that's come up. And obviously, people come out, and um, well, we'll get into this more later, but and say, oh, but the professional athletes, blah, 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 they play a game, you know, mm. they get paid. But the reality is, I don't think City have this enormous... Squad. They may spend more money than anybody else on do you players. Think everyone, do you think everyone has an enormous squad? Does anyone have an enormous squad? I think, for example, Chelsea, for example, have simply more viable bodies. And I think the thing about City, which a lot of people seem to forget, is they have two fewer players than they started out the season with. Mm. One is Ferran Torres, who, of course, was sold in January. Mm-hmm. And the other one is Benjamin Mendy, who's gone for other reasons, as we know. Yeah. Those two guys go... They don't get replaced. And I think if there is to be some criticism to be made of the club, guys, just in terms of bodies, just so I don't yeah. have to see Nathan Aki playing at you left say, back. You say this, though. You say this, though. But it, it feels more apparent when they lose and they don't play well, which when you look at it in the grand scheme of things, isn't often. It's not often. Okay. It was on Saturday. Yes. They didn't play well. I don't I don't think they played particularly well against Manchester City at all. Sorry, against Atletico Madrid. But they won in the mid-week. game, nonetheless. Well, no, they drew. Oh, no, it was in the tie, but, sorry. They won the yeah, tie. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. But I'm saying is, you can tell this is not what Pep Guardiola wants. I want to play. And I wonder if when he looks back, he says, you know what? Another body. I don't need to spend $100 million, uh to replace... Uh, Mendy with the other Mendy around Madrid or somebody really good. Yeah. I just need a body. I need I a body for Fernando. I don't know, Gab. I don't know. I don't know because, like, with the Mendy one, you do have Zinchenko, and Zinchenko didn't play that well on, on the weekend. Like, Yeah, you'd almost fact. think there's, like, a war going on exactly. in this country. But he did. Like, the fact that he didn't play well doesn't mean that you needed another body to be covering for his body. In Why case do we have 25 war. man squads in the Premier League if people don't take up the allocation? And. That's the, we'll, that's the dangerous we'll, thing, that Gab. That's we'll, the dangerous thing when only 11 people play. There's a lot of people we'll, who would be getting we'll paid be, to do nothing. All right, let's get in this a little more because okay. I think we need to praise 
Liverpool of a little bit. Of course. Because I don't care that they rested a whole bunch of people against Benfica. By the way, a lot of them had to come on because, you know, that game finished 3-3. It mm-hmm. wasn't like yeah. they were in control throughout. They, they were 3-1 up and then they got pegged back. Um, you're still going on the pitch. You're playing Manchester City. Okay, Stefan, Zach Stefan made one big mistake. And again, I, I want to take a little detour on that. We see this a lot, right? Oh, he's the cup goalkeeper. You know, it's Jack Butland for, for, for Palace or whatever. Managers do this mm. because reserve, because obviously they never rest their goalkeepers. And so, oh, how do I keep him involved? I'd love somebody to make a serious study. If you're a reserve goalkeeper and you're playing once a month, most of the time in cup games against crappy non-league or League 2 game teams, right? Mm-hmm. Do you really feel like you're involved does that lift you psychologically did you ever hang out with your reserve goalkeepers um are you in a position to judge that or were they just no, a bunch of pantilimon weirdos and- <laughs> um i think that's that's a that's a good question i think it depends on the person if a person's coming in thinking that they're vying for the number one spot so zach stefan knows so he's not so, buying, so, right? so it's so it's it, you're thinking bigger picture and you understand the position how it's only one that can play and if that one is doing well then you have to accept and look forward to whatever you can in terms of those games and if you look at some of the games that say Zach has played or the goalkeepers have played at say the bigger clubs in particular like he's played in League Cup he played in the League Cup final last year possibly the year before he's played in the FA Cup through the rounds played another game right. semi-final like he's not playing cons- considerably insignificant he's not playing insignificant games where like they make 11 changes and try and throw the match because they don't want to play football anymore you know he's getting an opportunity to perform and you know when he fills in for him whether it's Champions League League or whatever like you have to accept that's what it is if that's the role that you've assigned I think with. the difference though is that if he makes a mistake in this game as he did right yeah he's in trouble and yeah. I know he's going to bounce you know he's going to do all those things that athletes do about bouncing back but well, you can't really bounce back when out. you can't decide when you play next exactly yeah but I mean, this, would this you rather not, not play though would you rather not play that's the question yeah no I, I'm just wondering I think so much of the, I don't think there is a back I guess what I'm driving at I don't think there is a best practice mm. on how to handle the situation with keepers I think it depends entirely on the personalities yeah. of the keepers that you have. Yeah. I also kind of feel that if you weren't prioritizing mm-hmm. those other two competitions, Zach would have watched this game from the bench. I mean, I, th- I think that it's pretty obvious. You can't, I mean, what did Anderson, did, unless Ederson hurt his shoulder when he fell over against Atletico Madrid and we didn't know about it, but I mean. I think for, for these teams, and I think we saw this a bit with say Liverpool in the League Cup like uh, Kelleher played all those games and he played in the final but when you're in the final would you not just play your number one who's Allison? yeah that's what but for that you're right there's no like set Chelsea way played to do Mendy it. right there's, there's no set there's no set way to do it there is no set way to do it you so gotta just, know them you have to know them I think yeah and um, the, the thing is for these for these number two goalkeepers at these big clubs like they're good goalkeepers the person who's in number one is a great goalkeeper but they're still good goalkeepers. And the, the stuff from Stefan at the weekend, like, I've seen him play really well. Th- those are mistakes. You get punished for mistakes, especially the further back you play in terms of the game. And he'll know he's better than that. If he, if that's who he was, then I'd say don't keep him a million miles away from the field. Like, make him third-choice goalkeeper so he just puts crosses in, in the warm-up and stuff. But he's a good goalkeeper. He's played there before and he's won there before. Right. I want to get your take on Liverpool. Okay. Because... Obviously, they're in the final, and they're 3-0 up at halftime, and you're nobody's going to have an argument with that. Yeah. And obviously, the, the goal that made it 3-2 came at the end. But mm-hmm. before that, Allison had to make at least two really good saves. Yeah. Should that be a concern? Is there a concern that maybe, you know, I'm just, just as a footballer, right? Because you play Benfica, and you're way up from the first leg. Yeah. No pressure there. And you can see three goals. Uh, now you've got Villarreal coming up. Is there kind of a sense that maybe sometimes, I don't want to use the word complacency, but like things are going your way, you're in control, but and then you screw up? Yeah, I think, I think that can play into your mind a little bit because, say, you always end up finishing in a game, even at times when you're in total control, whether you've got all the ball or you've got goals in your favour, and that can be a concern because you try and figure out, well, why is this happening? And then if you, say, look back at video, you might be saying, well, why is this guy not running back? Why is that guy not running back? And then if you know those things going into the next game, there's a level of like, you, you almost lose 
whole trust with everybody that's on the field because you want to manage it and that's when as well this isn't just specific to Liverpool as a defender even though we're winning 3-0 I expect my strikers to have the same standards and to be defending all the way to the end but for them they're thinking well we're 3-0 up we don't have to do that anymore you know that's the sort of disconnect that you can have and then the strikers are watching you can see two goals and you're like well why are we still why are we back in the game now you know that, that that's the beauty that's the beauty of football right. but Liverpool you know they're exceptional I think it's to the side of the coin is they keep scoring goals, so they'll always be in with a chance, but they just need to be wary because at this stage of the season, every goal you concede could be the goal that sort of stops something that you want to achieve from happening, and you might not be able to just come back and just do it. So if you want to try and be successful, achieve whatever you want to achieve, like you have to clean it up. You have to. I'm absolutely fascinated by this title running um, and, and by potentially these teams meeting in the, mm-hmm. in the Champions League final. I think it's going to be, it's going to be one as much, again... I hate myself because I'm using that word psychology again. But it's a thing. But there is an element of it's tough a thing. mental and, toughness And here. to add to it now as well, because the FA Cup final is during the regular season as such, it's managing those games and those workloads. And some of those bodies that you speak of, you might be seeing more and more of them as the season progresses, but it might not suit your... This is your psychology now. It might not necessarily suit you and your eye because it's coming up in a big game. Mm. But for Klopp, he's like, well, I've got this 25-man squad. Maybe now's the time to play my 19-year-old left back, but then it turns out maybe it's the wrong time because you're away at Newcastle. Right. No, it's passing. Uh, I can just say on one silver lining in this, I'm kind of psyched that we don't have a summer World Cup this year because I don't want to see all these great players get to the World Cup mm-hmm. and be completely tired and worn out. So yeah. that is the one silver lining. Right. Quick Hits is sponsored by Football Manager 22. On sale now. All right, enough city. How about some quick hits? Chelsea are through to the FA Cup final, beating Crystal Palace 2-0. Nadem, another final for Thomas Tuchel, and a goal for the forgotten man, Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Honestly, it feels like Chelsea just live at that stadium. I think I've been there three, four times since I retired (laughs) a year ago to go and watch them. But yeah, in the end, they did well. I think for Palace, it was maybe a game too far. But for Chelsea, you know... Some big players out for, for Palace. Yeah, well. the, yeah, they were. By the way, the Conor Gallagher rule, it's, stu- it's stupid rule. Yeah, Stupid yeah. rule. I, you can work it in your contract, fine, but it shouldn't be a rule. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree with you on that. And it was a funny situation because after the game, I was wondering, well, will I see him in the Chelsea gear or would he be in Palace gear? Because, <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. they pay him, but he works there. But anyway, <laughs> so the Ricketts family have pulled out the bidding process to acquire Chelsea. Gab, three sets of billionaires left. Who's your money on? I don't know because... Brain Group are going to come up with their preferred bidder and they're all outlining their plans we're going to spend on. But then it's the government who decides. And cynical me would suggest... Is this the normal you or...? Well, yeah. Okay, so you... Wearing my cynic hat, um, let me see. I've got one group, which is Stephen Pagliuca, the uh, Boston uh, uh, Celtics owner, together with a whole array of... uh, Bigger, smaller celebrities, from Bob Iger, the former uh, chairman of the Disney Walt Disney Company, to uh, Eduardo Saverin, who was um, the who was a Facebook co-founder. Um, you've got that group. You've got the Todd Bowley group with the Swiss guy. Uh, by the way, there's also a guy named Peter Goober. I love saying that word, <laughs> Goober, who's uh, who's part of the um, uh, who's who's part of the, the Paluca big as well. Um, and then you've got. Sir Martin Broughton and Lord Sebastian Coe, who, as you can guess, yeah. they're a little bit Tory. Coe certainly is, right? Mm. Um, and they're backed by Harrison Blitzer, who, of course, are part owners of Palace. If and, I had to and guess... And Real Salt Lake. And Real Salt Lake. There you go. But that was, that, that, that was later, though. That was after you left, right? Yeah, that was after yeah. I left, yeah. So, I don't know. Uh, Cynic in me might suggest, hey... How about we put some English people in charge for a while? But I don't. I genuinely don't know. With this government, with these people, I, we're totally in uncharted territory here. Fan protests against the Glazer family outside Old Trafford and another so-so performance. Good thing Cristiano Ronaldo is around to score a hat trick and secure three points for Manchester United. Not yeah, United? it is. Yeah, you know, it's a great result for them against Norwich. You know, it's it's, it's really big for them. Yeah. No. It, How many hat tricks have you scored against Norwich? Uh, on FIFA, probably quite a few. So does, they, they should count. Wait, really. On FIFA, playing with Cristiano Ronaldo, of course. As, as Ronaldo, yeah, <laughs> scored a few hat tricks. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. But yeah, it's it's a shame that they're the protesting and like they've obviously there's been unrest and stuff. But for them to be protesting again at this time of year, 
I don't know if they were doing it's great. The anniversary with it. of the Super League, maybe. Yeah, would they be protesting? But then they were the protests. Oh no, it was afterwards. But would they be protesting as much if they were winning more games and were involved in more things at this stage? I think that's tough to say. But it's a shame because I think the guys who didn't go in there because they went to protest the first seven, seven, first seventeen minutes because it represents seventeen years with the Glazers. But unfortunately, they missed the goal. So you know that's what true fans do anyway. <clears throat> so. Paris Saint-Germain are one step closer to the league on title, beating Olympic Marseille 2-1. Gab, they can wrap this up. Is it as soon as this Wednesday? Yeah, I mean, and it's kind of like, talk about muted celebrations. It's like, let's just get this done, and then we'll figure out the future. We'll figure out what Killian's going to do. We'll figure out what Leonardo's going to do, what Pochettino's going to do. A phenomenal goal. A great pass from Verratti. Mm. A little delicate touch from Neymar. That's the thing. He always leaves you wanting more, right? Yeah. Like, like, like Messi as well. This season, you wonder what, in a parallel universe, they're all fit all year. They're all happy. There's no trouble behind the scenes. Uh, but again, another massive uh, defensive error well, as well for the Marseille goal. And then the winner was VAR. I think you just want the season to end and draw a line under it and plan for an Mbappé-less future. Yeah. Tottenham Hotspur fall at home to Brighton. 1-0 as Leandro Trossard scores the late, late, late winner. Antonio Conte says, if you realize you can't win, make sure you don't lose. Does that make sense to you, Native? It makes sense to me as a defender, yes. I think for midfielders and attackers... Did not get the message there? Well, he's unlucky because, in fairness, to Trossard on his oh, right foot, you're thinking, no, alliance. no, no. I, what I saw, what I saw is because the way the ball even dropped to Trossard, like, Dyer's not going to be in the best position because it was more of a ricochet. But it was a great, great little chop by Trossard and the finish was great. But that saying is true, but you can't get a whole team to buy into it because they're thinking, well, we're at home, the crowd are here, we should be going forward, we should be winning. But at some point at the back, you just know, like, this, we, can't, we cannot lose this game, we cannot lose this game. But then instead, you walk off after losing 1-0 to Brighton and you didn't even have a shot on target. But yeah, another poor outing for Juventus who need an injury time goal against nine-man Bologna to avoid defeat at home. Gab, is the pressure mounting on Allegri? It is, and I think rightly so, because uh, he kind of yucked it up afterwards. Well, look, we still got a point, so we're closer to our goal of finishing top four. I mean, no, no. Um, you couldn't beat nine-man Bologna at home. You played, what, 17 minutes against nine men, and you could only score one goal. You created nothing in the first half. Issues of creativity, issues of the way they play. You expect more patterns of play. I've defended Allegri all season, but at some point you got to go, and, and you just, just don't go and say, well, you know, at least we're moving up the table. No, no, this is a silly. By the way, this is absolutely one of the dumbest red cards you're ever going to see. The pit bull, Gary Medell, mm. he got two yellows, one after the other, for dissent, arguing about a penalty which the referee wasn't going to give anyway. So, I mean, I think people say with age comes wisdom, not in Gary Medell's case. <laughs> Arsenal failed to capitalize on Spurs' defeat as they fall to Southampton 1-0. Nadim, this can't all be down to the fact that Alexandre Lacazette wasn't there after testing positive for COVID. Well, the positive is, sorry to talk about positives again, but if you say that it is, then it means when he comes back, you'll be fine. See the psychology there? That's, that's how you spin things positively for a side. No, they, I think looking back at the game, I think they, they, could, they should have scored could have scored and it's just a shame that the wheels are kind of falling off at such a key time but for positives again for Arsenal fans Spurs went and lost yeah so and they didn't play badly in that's, this that's game he, yeah. like Fraser Forster was like Godzilla in the goal saving everything I know but it's just it's just so interesting when you think about the fact that I think the last time Southampton were home they conceded six to Chelsea but then you come up against Arsenal and you keep a clean sheet you know from a mentality standpoint it's a uh, it's a strange one so Bayern win 3-0 away to Arminia Bielefeld and can secure their 10th consecutive Bundesliga title on Wednesday when they take on Borussia Dortmund. But Gab, the hangover from the Champions League elimination hasn't gone away yet, has it? No, not really. Things are still muted. People aren't going, aren't excited. I mean, they've got the classic coming up. They can win it you know, at home against Dortmund. You'd think, yeah, yeah, this is Ausgezeichnet. <laughs> no, it's Lewandowski's future, Muller's future. Oliver Kahn under pressure because he went for he went out for to breakfast with his missus the day after they were eliminated by Villarreal. How dare he? Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff hanging over over the club and while it was professional against Arminia Bielefeld, who I think are second bottom and are terrible, wasn't even that great a performance in my view. Sean Dyche has been sacked as Burnley boss after nearly a decade, and somebody named Mike Jackson is now in charge. I think he was the uh, under 23s coach. Mm-hmm. And he's being helped by Ben Mee, who's the centre-back. Nadim, uh, they look better in the 1-1 draw at West Ham. What do you make of it? 
I think it's very interesting, Gab. I think it's very, very interesting because the change has come and a lot of people are saying it's the wrong decision. And it feels weird for people from the outside to call something the wrong decision when most of the people who made the decision are on the inside and see the bigger picture. So what I would say was he's obviously done a good job to this point, but maybe the job wasn't as good as it once was. And lo and behold, come the weekend when he's not there, they put out some of a performance. So if you want to read between the lines, perhaps there's something there to be saying. Well, they could have won this game too if, if Cornet had... Uh... Yeah, exactly. But the only thing to me is the whole thing about the takeover was predicated upon Dyke staying. Now then, I don't know. Yeah, things change, things change. Um, Inter, Inter and Milan both won back on Friday, so the pressure's on Napoli, who hosts Jose Mourinho's Roma in the next few hours. But Gab, what's the story about Milan being sold again? Yeah, apparently the owners, Elliott Management, have uh, given a period of exclusivity to InvestCorp, which is a Bahraini company. You might know them. You love the... You, you watch House of Gucci, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, still, still a luxury brand. Uh, we'll see. They're talking uh, around about a billion euros. Um... Sounds like a lot. I think Elliot have done a really good job and have steering the club in the right direction. We'll see if it happens, see if they get to the next level. Interestingly, 20% of Investcorp, owned by Mubadala from the United Arab Emirates, whose chief executive is Khaldun al-Mubarak. There you go. Shout out to Iñaki Williams. His Athletic Bilbao side may have lost to Celta Vigo on Sunday, but he has now played in 227 consecutive Liga matches. That's six years without missing a game, either as a starter or as a substitute. Can you fathom this? No. That, that's so, so special. I know some people say the best ability is availability, but still to have been at a club for that long, firstly, to be in such good form that you have to play in these games... And just staying healthy like that, that's truly, truly incredible. These aren't just like tippy-tappy soft games where nothing happens. Like you're throwing yourself out there and you're being competitive for the whole time. He's not a goalkeeper. He's a striker. And he's a striker who plays with energy and intensity. He's like Mr. Bump out there. Yeah, honestly, that is truly, truly incredible. And I think overall, some people can try and aspire to get to that. Be probably very successful if you get to maybe a third of that. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's very, very special. So let's go Madrid. Beat Espanyol 2 1 thanks to a late, late, late VAR penalty. Gab, do you think this was the right call? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't know what the hell the, refer- the, the VAR saw because the corner comes in. Raul de Tomas has, like, he does have his arm up, but he also has his leg up. I must have watched it like a million times. I made everybody out there to go and watch this. I cannot at any point see the ball striking any part of his arm. Let, leaving aside whether it's, um, you know, whether it, was, whether it was intentional or not, whether the arm was by his side or whatever. I just thought it was so weird. Um, anyway, uh, Carrasco converted the penalty. Atletico Madrid started the game really, really poorly. Uh, made some changes in the second half. Carrasco came on. Cunha came on. And they ended up winning, so they stay on track for the top four. But it was just such an such an odd VAR call because, like I said, you cannot. It's not even something where you look at it and you say, "Oh, how far up his arm is it?" or "Is his arm by his side?" Or no, you just don't ever see the ball mm. striking his arm. The Premier League could introduce halftime interviews with managers as they come off the pitch. Nathan, will this enhance your viewing experience? <laughs> I think it depends on the manager because there'll be some managers now. We, between the two of us, we could write a transcript of exactly what they're going to say based on what the, res- the result of the game is at that point. The team's 1-0 down. Yeah, I think we just need to make some adjustments and we're going to play well. The team's winning 2-0. Yeah, you know, we're doing well, but we need to make sure we're ready for the second half. So, What'd you make of the penalty? Well, I didn't see it. Yeah, like, basically. You know? if, if, it's great if they do that. But just be ready for a ton of cliches. And if you don't like cliches, then please just don't introduce it. That's, that's probably the best thing I could say. I think this works to some degree in, in other sports. Like you have this sometimes in, 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 in basketball. But that's because they can talk about how they might make changes and then they can make those changes and then unchange them because there's unlimited substitutions or whatever. In football, like I said, there's so much tension. There's so, so much in the yeah. spotlight. You're going to end up with people saying basically nothing. Yeah, because sometimes if they want, if they were to be really, really honest, chances are it's going to cost them money. Exactly. <laughs> so it's definitely not going to go too well. So Erling Haaland scored twice as Borussia Dortmund beat up Wolfsburg 6-1. Gab, they were 5-0 up at halftime. Why is this team so Jekyll and Hyde? I have no idea. I've been hammering them all season for their inconsistency, for their defensive foibles. They didn't screw up defensively in this one. They scored right away. 
the one good thing is they played a bunch of, of, of kids. This guy, Tom Roth, who, who scored scored the goal. He comes from the, I think he's 17 years old. Um, they had a couple other guys, including actually a guy whose name escapes me came on, who was a, who was a kid who was at City, who, um, who joined them, 17 years old. Um, Jamie Double Barrel, something or other. Mm-hmm. At this point, they're simply playing out the streak. And so if you're going to do that, Use it to assess what you have. Use it to prepare for an Erling Holland-less future, if that's the direction you're going in. And find out if the kids can play. We saw Mukoko as well. We even saw Jesus Rainier. It's, it's, my, it's my second <laughs> Jesus Rainier, Rainier Jesus reference of this show. I never thought we'd get there. Daily Mail reports that Manchester United are considering expanding Old Trafford by another 15,000 seats, which would take that capacity up to 88,000. Nathan, from a player's perspective... Does it make much of a difference or does it all just feel really, really big? And also, I guess this shows that wanting to watch United is kind of independent of their results, right? Yeah, it's a good two-part question, that one. I think um, throughout my career, even though I, I don't, I'll say didn't, I'll say didn't, not don't, even though I didn't love Manchester United, it was always a nice feeling to walk out on there because the stadium does feel really, really big. Like There's a different sort of energy to it. And when the crowd get going and stuff, it can be a great place to play. And visually, it's incredible. Because you, when you've watched, if you're sort of my generation, you've seen Manchester United be great. You've seen moments have happened at Old Trafford to walk. So to walk out there is great. Adding 15,000, I think you, you've hit the nail on the head. There is a separation between Manchester United, the badge, and Manchester United, the successful football team. And in some ways, like this is what some of those United fans kind of hate because it seems like it's something to do with just how big they are as a club and so on and so forth. But then what, them wanting their club back doesn't involve getting 15,000 extra seats because I've seen at the stadium, there, there's a group, I forget what they're called, but they put like stickers on the bench and say, on the seats and say, nobody's allowed to take photos in this section because that's not who we are as Manchester United and things like this. I guarantee you with 15,000 more seats, there's 15,000 more opportunities. More Norwegian tourists? It's, and there's no shame in that. That's the thing. This is the way football is. If people believe that the only people in stadiums are the ones who are diehard fans of their football club, you know, you're going to be in for a shock. Go, to, go watch like, semi-professional football. That's where you'll find it. That's where you find it. Um, See, if, if I were a United fan trolling a City fan, I might point out that, oh, but you'd kill to be able to fill an extra 15,000 seats at your place. And what I say to that, what I say to that is there are some, lots of City fans who were happy with the capacity beforehand because they feel like it does bring in that core. I, I do feel, okay, I genuinely, I mean, obviously we go out around the world, obviously, and we get reaction from around the world. One of the bizarro things... And you know, when you talk to somebody, you can tell if there's somebody who's kind of jumped on a bandwagon. Yeah. And if they've been there, if they start talking about Sean Goder or yeah. Summerbee or whatever, right? Um, I don't feel like I've met that many City fans who've converted to City from another club. Mm. I don't feel, I mean, I don't, I don't know if, if, if you get this sense, but you get people like, oh, I wasn't into football and then Man City got really good. I became a City fan or I used to support, you know, Rotherham and now I'm a City fan because they're really good. Yeah. I don't, I mean, maybe in other parts of the world, but yeah. even then you look at City's metrics and there just aren't many City fans apart from the ones who were there before. Yeah. But like, the, I do know some people, like when I was in the USA, there were tons of people who supported City. Right. But it's because of the style of play, the success and stuff that they've had. And they probably didn't support a club before that. Exactly, yeah. So the, there's some first-time supporters who are into the game, and someone says, oh, you should try and watch soccer or whatever. Like, which team should I watch? And you watch City, and it's like, oh, Kevin City, Burnley, City, Burnley. Yeah, exactly. But I, I, understand, I understand that. And I'd wonder what it's like to say, for, say, other teams. Like, is how hard is it to really bring people across at this moment? I think we're probably entering an era whereby people probably buy into play more so than to buy into football clubs so if you want sort of those peripheral type fans to get involved just have some players who people actually want to watch and then who knows well actually I mean this is a massive digression I've talked about this with Jules too but that's in some ways City can't even use the star players to draw people in because at City I think more than any other big club more even than Liverpool it's really about the collective yeah like Obviously, Kevin De Bruyne is a superstar, and there's a bunch of other really talented players there. But, you know, I don't think Kevin De Bruyne has got yeah. 100 million fans on Insta or whatever, right? Mm. People, The football fans. Yeah, there, it, it is more about the football. You don't have yeah. the superstar quality of, say, Mohamed Salah yeah. or even Virgil van Dijk or the charisma mm. of, of those guys. 
it's 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 kind of a weird. And you say that, I feel like I heard Salah talk for the first time last year, and I was like, oh, is that what he sounds like? He, just, <laughs> he sounds, sounds like an Egyptian. Fancy that. Fancy that. Um, Ajax faced, faced arch rival PSV Eindhoven in the final of the Dutch Cup, but things didn't go quite according to Eric Ten Hag's plan, did they, Gab? No, they actually they 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 took the lead and. And they got pegged back, and, and they lost 2-1. Um, PSV scoring twice in the second half. Eric Ten Hag, by the way, like, afterward, talk about bluntness. He's like, yeah, we made two defensive mistakes. We got caught on the counterattack. And, you know, for the second, for get the Gakpo goal, goal, I think it was, so-and-so made an error, and, uh, and we lost the game. And I think they had a chance to score to add to their lead earlier when they were 1-0 up, and I think that was kind of the big regret. But I was kind of surprised by how blunt he was. I don't know that that's quite going to fly uh, if, as many expect, he becomes the next uh, United manager. UEFA are under pressure to scrap the two proposed, quote, coefficient places that would allow uh, into, the com- into the Champions League the two best performing sides in the previous five years of European football if they fail to qualify via the league. <laughs> Nathan, some say this is Super League by another name, and that's why they're so against it. Others say, well, if we can have these bigger teams have been consistently good in it, then we can sell the TV rights for more money and make more money and give more money back to the clubs. Mostly so the big so clubs. who are you? Are you some or are you others? I don't like these coefficient places thing. Yeah. They've already kind of they've already kind of put in a principle in terms of how the money is going to be distributed. Where teams that have been consistently in the Champions League mm-hmm. are going to like their share is going to be weighted differently simply because, you know, the argument is they helped build the Champions League brand over the years. Yeah. Fair enough. But this is just not necessary. Yeah. It, does, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel right to me. And I think Super League by another name is maybe like a good way to describe it because it is leaning very heavily into teams who we are familiar with. But to say that they don't necessarily need to be performing that well in any particular season to do it, just just to credit that sort of just takes the credit away from the race to finish in the Champions League place. Because if they know that they're going to be likely the team that gets in anyway, like what what well, we see, it's two, the, two different things. The argument, I think, there's the comp- one of the compromises about oh well, this will only apply if you narrowly miss out. So, for example, I think Roma and United, um, if they both finish fifth. They don't want teams leapfrogging other teams yeah. into. But if they finished fifth, well, then they could go. They wouldn't want them, you know, if they finished lower or is, if they win a domestic cup. But, but even, it's hokey. If, it's yeah, hokey. even it's you say narrowly miss out, but then the team in fourth might be 40 points off the team in first. And United narrowly missing out on the team that's in fourth because they're 43 <laughs> points behind the team exactly. that won the league. Uh, for, uh, for, uh, let's let's, let's put, just put that in the bin, garbage, trash, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, but look, and look. If you want to raise more money, just go and sell more NFTs. <laughs> there we go. Um, an Amsterdam judge has ordered the agency SEG, who also happened to represent Eric Ten Hag, to pay Inter defender Stefan de Vrij 4.7 million euros. Gab, what's this all about? This is all about conflict of interest, according to uh, the judge's sentence. And I think this is really interesting. We've talked about this before. We did a whole Gab and Jules meets with uh, an agent named Giovanni Branchini, one of the original super agents. This is something people should talk about a lot more. In this specific case, Stefan de Vrij had been a client of SEG since he was 16 years old. And he's at Lazio. His contract is up at the end of the season. There's a bunch of different clubs who want him, and he ends up signing for Inter. He later finds out, and obviously SEG do the, well, SEGs are still his agents, right? He later finds out that SEG have received a payment from Inter. Um, and he kind of says, well, wait a minute. Were you representing me? I'm a free agent. Were you representing me, or were you representing my employer? Were you representing both? Did you look after my interests? The court, and SEG say they're going to appeal and so on, found that, no, actually, DeVry, you ended up making a lot less money than you might have otherwise because of the terms of these contracts, which SEG negotiated, and then got paid by Inter. This happens a lot, as you know. I don't know if... uh, I don't know if you negotiated your own contracts or if your agent got got paid by the other... Yeah, I've seen all this stuff, yeah. You've seen all this stuff before. It happens all the time. It's incredibly unseemly 
um, there's got to be a better way to do this, especially when it comes to free agents, mm. right? I mean, there's no reason. Yeah, totally agree. Ashley Westwood suffered an ugly ankle injury in a clash with Nikola Vlasic during the West Ham Burnley game. But, Nadim, I was struck by Vlasic's reaction. He looked so upset that mm. he had injured Westwood. And to be fair, people, it, the injury doesn't seem to be as serious as was hoped, thankfully, as it appeared at the time. Certainly on, t- on television. And if you're one of those weirdos like me who likes to, ooh, you know they're not going to show this again. So you kind of rewind and enlarge. It looked horrendous. You are a weirdo, yeah. Um, have you been in a situation like that where like, you've had a teammate like freak out because they injured an opponent or, uh, or the result of something horrific happened? Well, it's, it's, an interesting, it's interesting you've said that because there was once a time when I got sent off and I ended up breaking the goalkeeper's leg. But it was rescinded after because what happened was, um, so I was free at the at the back post begging for the ball to be played in because I was going to be going through on goal. And they played it to me and I took a historically bad touch, historically bad. So much so that now it was like a 70-30 between myself and the goalkeeper. So I slid and tried to flick it over him. And after I slid, we then collided with each other, both on the floor. So I, was, I got up. Because he saved me. I was like, oh, for goodness sake. I was raging, thinking, why is my touch so bad? And the ref came over, and he showed me a red card. And then I looked down, and the goalkeeper was on the floor, and he was screaming. He was screaming in agony because he had just broken his leg. Not to the same extent where your ankles right. fucked over or anything like that. But I didn't even understand what happened, like, because I hadn't fouled him. Because you're so him. focused Yeah, I had, like, I hadn't, I hadn't fouled him. There'd right. been a collision, and he'd broken his leg. And, like, after the game, he was like shouting at me and stuff like this whilst he was on his stretch being taken away and all this stuff but it was it felt weird because again like I didn't even know it happened and I was so caught up in that instance but you to go back to this Westwood one like you are a weirdo because most people they can't look at something that's that gross so for someone like Vlasic he has been involved in how it's happened but when you think about people who's who get sent things which are a bit gory or a bit gross and stuff on their phone there's a real big reaction then they swipe away but for Vlasic it's still there you can't just swipe away the fact no. that this person you're in a, you've had an accident with is literally there on the floor in agony, and you can see that. And that's gonna, yeah, I think that's probably gonna haunt him for a long time. He was so upset, and we're obviously often cynical about professional footballers, like, ah, hey, you get paid anyway, end of the season, Burnley, who cares? Yeah, and, you know, he knows it's not like I went to hurt him, but he is just so horrified and so upset, the, and yeah. it just really spoke to me that his humanity. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a, uh, there is a lot of humanity within football. Like guys do hate each other, but at the end of the day, you want to walk away in good health because it, it's your job. This is what you want to do. This is what you care to do, and that's why you don't see many people going around causing real damage to people on purpose, because that's something where you know that kind of crosses the line. So to do it by accident, I think that's probably something that makes it worse. So it was a big, it was a big win for Leipzig away to buy Leverkusen as Dominic. Shoboslai Shoboslai obviously Obviously. the traditional pronunciation Shoboslai scores the only goal allowing them to leapfrog Leverkusen into third place this is this is really big that the great moment continues Um, and of course Christopher Nkunku didn't start I'm assuming maybe because uh, he was tired after the you know after the Europa League game against Atalanta I don't know but he comes on and who lays on the pass it's him. And he's obviously on fire. I think he's double-figure assists, double-figure goals this season. Leipzig have just definitely been on a vertical rise. If this season continued into August, you would imagine Leipzig would probably pass Borussia Dortmund uh, as well. And I'm happy for Tedesco because I think he showed that, you know, after the shock experience, people were like, oh, is he any good, blah, blah, blah. And, like, no, he came back and... You said something interesting there. You said Nkunku maybe he was tired from the week from the midweek game at Atalanta. When you think about that sort of encounter, who says they're tired? Do you think it's the player or the manager telling somebody they're tired? Maybe they have all sorts of metrics through their fancy wearables who say like, "Oh, look, you made seven sprints instead of eleven sprints this game." I, I genuinely don't know. Yeah, that's the thing. It's, maybe it's somebody a, else was fresher. It's a, it's a weird perception. I'd say. It, Ninety-nine percent of players would never say they're tired. No, it is. It is. Well, your old boss Roberto Mancini used to turn to the bench since he played it until he was like forty, and you know, at a certain minute, he would turn to the bench and signal that it's time for me to be substituted, and <laughs> he decided he would come on. So yeah, some people do that, but not, not before every- games. Not before games. That's my point. <laughs> um, 
The reason I, look, it was an odd one also because this is huge for them because if they lose this game, you know, they're, what, they're five points or four points behind Leverkusen rather than two points ahead of them. So it was, uh, it was quite the swing, but big call from Tedesco as well. And uh, yeah, Leipzig, I think, are going to finish third this season. Nadim, I hope you're as transfixed and fascinated as I am by the Wagatha Christie trial pitting Rebecca Vardy against Colleen Rooney. Rebecca, of course, is suing Colleen for libel after being accused on Twitter of leaking personal stories to a tabloid newspaper. But personal stories about the Rooneys, obviously, personal stories about the Vardys aren't quite as exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we seem to have a lot of difficulty recovering evidence. First, we had a phone fall into the North Sea. Now Rebecca's IT expert says he can't remember the password used to encrypt her messages. Of course. Yeah, IT experts tend not to remember passwords. That's that's perfectly normal. You have you know? one job. Yeah, you know it's perfectly normal. You know I'm sure he wouldn't have like stored it somewhere securely or whatever. Yeah. I, I I want a made-for-TV movie to come out of this. I am willing <laughs> this to has help happened before. write this... it. Producers, please get in touch. I'll put you in touch with my agent. <laughs> someone's someone's done this story before. You know this is like the shows we used to watch back in the day, and it's it. It's just, it's funny because with these two, like, it matters so much to them. But in the grand scheme of things, most people don't care. No, but you know what? Every story that comes out, Colleen Rooney becomes more and more likable. And the other one, less and less. Yeah, so she's winning then. Easily. Yeah. Easily. In the court of public opinion, anyway. So, Barcelona play in the next few hours, but the shock of their 3-2 home defeat to Eintracht is still fresh. And Xavi's unhappy that some 35,000 Eintracht fans made their way into the camp now. Gab, how's that even possible? So, this is the uncomfortable thing. It was surreal watching it because those Eintracht Frankfurt fans were so noisy. Mm. I mean, the crowd sounded even 50-50 for a home game. Again, I'm not suggesting this is the reason they lost, but it's certainly not a good look. Yeah, it doesn't help. Um, I think because Barcelona have an enormous stadium, and I think what happens, it's the Thursday before the holidays, and, you know, Josep and Paco are going away. Like, hey, look, StubHub or some other ticket exchange, and then... You don't know where those tickets come from. And holiday weekend for Frankfurt, who doesn't want to go to Barcelona? Let's fish around for tickets. And I think they just simply acquired all these tickets on the secondary market. Now, fortunately, there's no issue with violence or anything. But, yeah, they, it's not a good look. No. Not a good look for Barca. Right. Uh, Nadim, that brings us to an end. Thank you so much for filling in admirably for Jules. He's going to be back on Thursday. There's so much midweek football going on. Uh, he's going to have a ton on his pay. We both will. Until then, love the game. Love your neighbor. Love yourself. Yeah.